So now on the Innovation Show, it's an honour to welcome Brendan Woods, CEO and founder of Ocrex. Welcome to the show, Brendan. Thank you very much, Aidan. It's a pleasure. We'll jump straight into it. So tell us the story of how you founded the company. Well, I was a software developer for about 10 years myself, and I was working in the IFSC and financial services, as so many people do here in Dublin. And in doing so, I worked with lots of accountants, and it was pretty much just over a chit-chat, kind of making coffee at a tea break one morning, that I was chatting to a colleague who I didn't know particularly well, but we were just making small talk, and I asked him how he ended up working here, and... He said he was an accountant and he used to work for an accountancy practice and it was a bit boring and he didn't wanted to move to Dublin and all the rest. So I said, oh, okay, fair enough. But I'm surprised that, you know, working in an accountancy firm is maybe boring because, you know, I'm kind of into business and I would have thought being an accountant, you get to see how all these businesses work, you know, or not work as the case may be. But you get to see how they tick. And I kind of made this point to him and he said, ah, to be honest, Brendan, most of the time you spend yourself typing up or ticking bank statements, doing manual bank recs. And it, it, to be honest, it's quite dull. And at the time, you know, I know what a manual bank rec basically just means a manual bank reconciliation. So reconciling your transactions at the end of the month, that kind of thing. And I knew what that meant in the context of financial services where, you know, where I worked, but not really in the case of a small business. So when I asked more, he explained, and it is a very laborious and, and tedious manual task. And a lot of it is just checking that what showed up in your bank statement is what you've also recorded in Sage or whatever your account software is. So I thought that was ridiculous that some guy that spends four years getting a degree and three years becoming an accountant spends half a day of his job basically every day doing this on behalf of small businesses. Because, it, you know, it's, it is just a very much manual task. So anyway, um, one of the parts of that, of course, is that the starting point for someone doing a tax return for, say, a small client in an accounting practice like that is they get the bank statements at the end of the year of somebody that comes in and says, you know, I need to do my tax return. And they would typically be given to a bookkeeper or a junior person in the in the accounting practice. And they'd literally just type them up. They would just type up a year's worth of bank statements into Excel or into some accounts package. And that was probably one of the most tedious parts of it, actually. So that's what's got me thinking initially. And I kind of went about building a proof of concept to see if I could automate that. And I did. And I showed it to some accounting practices and they thought it was great. Now, in my mind, it was a bit rubbish. It was kind of sell a tape together, proof of concept. But it demonstrated what it would do. And they loved that idea. Your background as a software developer and being an entrepreneur in your blood, you spotted the gap, you spotted the opportunity or the pain point, and you mm. went about, and like, how long did it take you to build the proof of concept? Well, that was done over quite a while, because it was basically done at the kitchen table, you know, the weekends and in the evenings after work, that kind of thing. So it took me quite a while, but, and then of course, I was giving, out to, giving it out to some practices, getting some feedback, doing a bit more, that kind of thing. But it was probably not until late 2010, early 2011, when I started getting there with it. And uh, ultimately, it was September 2011 when I quit my job and decided to take the plunge and, and make a proper version of it. Yeah, so, so you went for it. You, you uh, jumped off the cliff and uh, I did, went for yeah. health, health letters. In, so, so what, what, in the middle of a recession. Yeah, so like I, I read about that and I was read about it and I just thought how brave that was because obviously, you know, most people are kind of run for cover and you went straight into the storm and just took it on. 
Yeah, well, it wasn't, I don't know if it was that brave as such, but at the time, I guess, I saw myself, I was 10 years into my career, and while I had a very good job and I managed a team of developers, uh, you know, and I had a kind of a middle management job, let's say, it was very secure and, you know, all things considered at the time, um, probably had more security than most and, and a reasonable, reasonable, reasonably good pay. So it wasn't, ter- you know, I wasn't in a bad position that, I was forced into trying something else, but more the opposite, except that as with the entrepreneurial spirit in me, maybe I just found that kind of job in a company of a thousand people, a little bit kind of same, same every day. Um, so I, yeah, ultimately I, I, I decided I didn't want to be doing that in another 10 years time yeah. and said, I'd sure I'd take the leap. So that's like, that's one of the things I find talking to so many people on the show. It's just, you just wired differently. Like you don't like that same repetitive task where you start knowing the seasons or you start knowing what week it is by the task you're on or what yeah. level of, how deep you are into a project. And so many Absolutely. people just can't do that. And what I love about what you've done is you, you've actually gone and and solved that problem for people. You know, something that you didn't like yourself in your own career, even though it was a totally different industry. You went and solved that task for people that with exactly, the software. exactly. No, I, I think I was just a bit wired that way, as you say. I mean, even in the job I was in, I was constantly, you know, getting frustrated with sort of, let's call them corporate silos, just things the way things were done, and with no good reason explaining why they were done that way, and they seemed ridiculous to me. But it's hard to move, you know, a company of that size or to change things quickly. But I suppose taking one problem that was identified to me and I suppose only focusing on that I was able to obviously get something more productive done yeah so so you t- so took the plunge in the recession you built a product but what I what I love and and I'd love you to tell the audience about is is how you went about your sales process thereafter because obviously you pounded the pavements but you also went through something that's kind of a dying <laughs> a dying product at the moment which is the gold or the yellow pages yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a few some funny stories from the early days, to be honest. Um, so essentially, from sort of September 11 to uh, mid-summer 2012, I had left the job and I was working full-time to build, let's say, a proper commercial or scalable version of this software-proof concept that I'd already built. So it was around June 2012 when we started selling it, the proper version. And around that time, we hired our first salesperson, who I'd known already, um, and he was a young guy and he had been living in Dublin for a year and he'd moved back to the UK and I thought this is perfect because uh, this guy's a little bit of a sales experience, young, hungry, ambitious guy. And also the UK market is going to be much bigger to us in time than, than Ireland would be. But uh, yeah, I mean, we started out and I told them to go and get, you know, rent a room somewhere, some sort of office place, you know, just find a room locally that he could work from. So we did. And then in terms of what was he to do? Well, I said, you know, you have to call accounting firms and try and get them to give you a few minutes to sh- for you to show them a demonstration of what our software does. And he said, okay, so who do I call? And I said, well, accounting firms. And he said, well, do you have a list? And I said, no, um, but I'm sure they're listed in the yellow pages. And he said, oh, okay. So we got the yellow pages and that's where we started. 
But of course, very quickly we realized it was other website directories and so on that you could look up to where accountants were listed and things like that. But but essentially it was uh, it was kind of old school selling. You know, we we just rang them and tried to introduce what we were doing. Um, and uh, if we didn't get through the past the receptionist or to any partner or that, we just rang the next one. Yeah. And we just kept going. And that's what we did. Yeah. Um, one of the funnier things was Tom, the guy in question who I'm talking about, he was a young guy and uh, it was about nearly into the maybe Wednesday or Thursday of his second week and he kind of rang me tentatively saying, um, Bren, uh, just a quick one. Um, I was just wondering, uh, would you mind if, you know, would you mind if I went and bought a desk? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Little did I know when, I, when he rented an office, it was unfurnished and the guy's been sitting on the floor cross-legged for the last 10 days. <laughs> yeah, well, it just, it just shows you the, the mindset of, uh, you know, yeah. why you're still, you've still, you haven't run out of runway. And it's something I was thinking about, Brendan, when I was reading about, about Ocrax and you is, you know, you see so many unicorn startups or people who have got funding and they don't respect the funding or the funders and mm. you know i know that's you know pretty extreme not to have a desk but but there's this whole idea of the age of the cockroach r- rather than the unicorn and and that's what a lot of funders are looking for that mindset where you know you won't waste your you won't waste their funds on unnecessary yeah. things and even you know you take that example and you take somebody like jeff bezos and mm. His the desks, the famous Amazon desk that they built out of doors on the back of a few pieces of timber. Like that's how those guys started, and that mindset can't yeah. do you any wrong. No, absolutely, and I think it keeps you grounded as well. I mean, I think you know, even in hindsight, you now we're we've grown since 2012 considerably, and we we hire quite a lot. We sorry, we employ quite a lot of people, and we we have pro- we all have proper desks and computers and stuff, <laughs> but. Um, and the new hires don't start on the floor, but but yeah, it is very important to try and keep that level of grounding and that you don't get complacent with what you spent, essentially, because there's one thing that they say, you know, your costs, you'll always meet your budget on costs, but you might not meet your budget on sales. Yeah. So, um, you, you know, if you're very worried not to, to, to overspend. Um, that said, there's two sides to that too. I think some businesses, in trying to be very thrifty, actually hold back their growth as well so yeah there's a balance to be had yeah and so so i I mentioned running out of runway because i thought you know you you started in the recession so way back nearly what we're going back nearly 10 years ago and if you if you look at the time that you've bought yourself effectively through the sales through that mindset through sifting through yellow pages golden pages that you're entering into the api economy and we talk about the age of automation as well, and you are mm. perfectly placed now to take this to a whole new level because when, when things... I, I thought about this, I thought about this the disruption of AI, so artificial intelligence doing rote tasks like Autorec does, like Ocrex products do, and how when everything goes to an API economy, your product is going to be in perfect positioning for you know mass adoption because... It, and it's going to disrupt jobs, there's no doubt about that, but it will mean somebody who studies for four years, like you mentioned, is actually doing the right thing in their job and probably enjoying their job a hell of a lot more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there's the kind of things that we automate are the kind of things that had to be done, you know, as part of the job. 
So it wasn't the bits you wanted to do. It's not the bits you're trained, you know, specifically with all that expertise in to do, but it still has to get done. Um, so if there was a fair bit of manual data entry, it still had to be done. So like our solutions now, um, you know, automate data entry essentially for accountants and bookkeepers and for business owners. So essentially, you know, inputting information into your account software, we automate. That's what we do. The problem essentially that we're trying to address being that, you know, accounting software and because of the cloud and the API economy and so on, the product, a lot of solutions have become very economical. You know, if you compare the, the, the sort of functionality you get now in accounting software to what you did 15 years ago and what you paid for it relative to, let's say, an average salary or something, it's a fraction now. You know, people can get really advanced software for 30 or 40 euros a month. But the, re the funny thing is that the data entry of getting the information into the account software can now cost 10 times that. You can spend 300 euros paying somebody to enter all the invoices and receipts and so on into their account software, even though the software itself now only costs about 30 euros. Yeah, and it's funny because that, that's a lot of the jobs that, you know, you know, a lot of people, private people will pay an accountancy firm to actually go and do this for them. But a lot of the times they're using the likes of your product anyway, but, they, they, you know, it's making it easier for them to get it in there and then their profit margin's higher. But like this, these products, like your product, is available more and more. But I just, I just think the the timing of this is is quite, you know, of of its time. And the other thing is that you know, the, the, one of the things I read about you and I'd love you to share is the how interchangeable it is. So it works with a lot of existing solutions as well, and that's fueled your growth. Absolutely, it has. Yeah, I mean, it would probably be one of the main drivers of our growth because. You know, we're not, we don't build accounting software. We just help you get the information into your accounting software. So obviously, for us, it's very key to ensure that we have a really tight, seamless integration with whatever software you're using. Now, there is a lot of people using it in isolation and don't, and, and you know, would be happy to, ex to have us cap automate the capture of the information and then export it to Excel, for example. And from there, they might import it into their account software. But for m most of the popular ones like Xero or QuickBooks and Sage, we actually have direct seamless integration. So from our software, it just sends the information straight through. So that basically means someone can come out of a shop or a coffee shop. Or they have the receipt. They take a picture on the mobile app. And by the time they get back to their office, it's already in their account software. Nice. Finished, done, categorized. Um, and that goes with invoice and receipts as well. So um, it just means, and even their suppliers, you know, they can just email it into the system and they don't even have to see it. And before they know it, it's already accounted for in their accounts. So um, it's that sort of taking away the drudge work. I mean, if you're, you know, let's say a plumber, right? You go out to work all day, you're wrecked tired when you come home at night. But the last thing that those people want to do is once a week or once a month have to be up till all hours at night typing up their expenses and their stuff into their accounting software, something that isn't their trade. You know, they, they might know better than anyone how to install water pumps and all sorts of things. But accounting is not really their thing and they have to choose between 200 expense categories as to what that invoice, you know, should be categorized as. It's not that easy, which is why they often, ex you know, outsource this work to the accounting firm. But um, for a lot of people, that's not terribly practical and it could be expensive. So they feel they have to do it themselves at night. Um, and it is, it's, it's one of the things that they least want to do. I was one of them, by the way. I was a software developer, not a bookkeeper. So 
ironically, while I was making software that, you know, was used by bookkeepers often, I was also the business owner who didn't like typing up my own invoices. So, so yeah, um, no, I think we're, we're, um, we're solving a real problem for people. And it's a real kind of annoying headache that nobody wants to do yeah, as well as obviously a costly one. Yeah. And it's one of these jobs, like it's like, you know, so, so many AI products or AI driven products are, are taking away the drudge work for people because, yeah. it, you know, even, even when you have to write up a report, it's, it's the worst thing a lot of people want to do. Like, I mean, it's the comfortable job a lot of the time. It's the safe thing to be doing. But but mm. a lot of people, and it's probably, again, going back to your nature, but a lot of people are like this where they go and they leave it till the last minute because they don't want to do it. You know, and it's like yeah. the why there's this rush every year to get your accountant on time because nobody's doing it on a regular basis. That too is like you can solve. But yeah. I was going to ask you about the size of the prize because mm. obviously there, there's a good few competitors in this space. But also, the prize is, is quite hefty for this. It is. It's huge. I mean, essentially, if you think about it, as I say, accounting software might be, for small businesses, might be 30 euros a month. But if it costs 300 euros a month to enter all the data into it, and we can automate that for you, well, you'd presumably be willing to pay a fraction of that 300 to do it automatically and save yourself the time. Um, so, essentially... It's a much bigger market now, possibly, than the accounting software market itself, because it does affect every business. Every business buys materials, buys products, etc., which they have to pay for, and they have to get invoices for, and they have to enter those invoices into their account software. So it essentially affects every business. Um, it's just right now, because it's the, what we do is very new, um, or, or certainly very new in the small business context, it's the early adopters that we're picking up now, but I see within five years, it's just going to become a standard practice that everybody uses something like this. Yeah. I mean, in one year since we released the latest solution, Auto Entry, Auto Entry was released sort of just maybe 14 months ago. And we've gone from adding, you know, sort of maybe 100 companies a month onto the system to now several thousand in a month. Wow. In the space of 14 months. So yeah. we've got over nearly 17,500 companies on the system. Yeah. Um, a year later, you know, yeah. so I was going to say, I mean, you're, you're apart from that, right? So there's, there's the natural growth. You've got the early adopters, but on yeah. top of that, you're, you're, we're getting this shift in, as you, you mentioned the cloud, but also the API economy. So people are actually yeah. getting their data in, in, into order, into Lego bricks that your system can actually understand and can actually feed as well, which I think is really interesting. So it's actually just because it's a, it's a, it's an interchangeable piece of Lego that works seamlessly with a lot of different products, which makes it really valuable. And in that respect, I mean, are you, yeah. are you, are you, what, what's the next step for you? Um, next steps for us is, well, we've already become the second, I mean, okay, so if you take the likes of QuickBooks, say, the big vendors, right? These all have these sort of API ecosystems feeding into this API economy that you talk about, how all the integration, they can just turn on, turn off different apps that help with the use of, say, QuickBooks or Xero. Um, for some of those ecosystems in the UK, we're already the second most popular in the space of a year. There was, you know, one of our competitors maybe five years old and, and we're on a year old, but we've already got the second place. There's maybe 20 odd competitors in our, our kind of space. But to get to number two, we're delighted because it was only a, a year's growth. What we're hoping to do with that is take that and just 
re-implement in other markets such as US, Canada, Australia um, for, the, for the next couple of years and then maybe further afield. Part of the reason for those markets is because they're also English speaking, so it's quite easy for us to enter into and support. Um, but also because the par- our, our partners, the channel partners, such as the Sages and QuickBooks and so on, uh, you know, we're also watching what markets they're going into. And we, we already know we absolutely nail it, solving it, the data entry problem for their clients in the UK and from Ireland. And now that we're starting to get clients of theirs coming from the US, from Canada, from Australia, we're thinking, okay, well, we need to support them better right. because we have support here, but the time zones obviously kind of make it difficult for us to give that real-time support in the likes of Australia. Yeah. So that's that's next. So we're looking to probably raise funding now in the next few months. Um, with the growth that we've had, we're getting a lot of interest, but um, probably be doing a, our, a Series A round of funding so that we can really ramp up that growth in, in new territories. Yeah, and, and obviously, I mean, the other thing is, you know, you'd be blind not to see the opportunity for an Intuit or a Sage or a QuickBooks to actually go and, and acquire you if you're if you're in a, an interchangeable Lego brick with that. So that investment has you know an end goal as well. If if and you I mean you may not want that to happen because you might be you're seems like you're going so well, but uh, it's it seems like an obvious uh, move for one of those big players. Yeah, some of those big players, you know, would be quite acquisitive in their approach to growth as well. I mean, they acquire solutions to help them enter new territories or just to to offer something exclusively to their users or just to better their users' experience. So you will see the likes of Intuit who, who own QuickBooks to acquire companies that they see are making a difference in the market and will, you know, and will... Um, improve the experience of QuickBooks for their users. Um, of course, they are software developers themselves, so they tend to build certain things themselves, but they can't build everything. So yeah. when we think of their ecosystem, essentially, which is a brilliant uh, you know, evolution in software in the last 10 years, is that because of their API, people who specialize in building an inven- inventory systems can integrate with QBO and plug a gap if, for example, um, you know, QBO or QuickBooks desktop didn't maybe have a system that did all the bits and pieces that are needed for a particular industry vertical, for example, Um, or CRM, you know, more and more businesses run on a CRM, but they need the CRM to talk to their account software. So through an API, they can do that now. So these ecosystems now for the likes of QuickBooks or Xero, Sage, they have hundreds of add-on partners that provide, you know, that plug gaps of functionality that wouldn't be core to the bookkeeping solution. We're one of those, but it just happens that we're in the most sought after category in the terms of automation data entry is one of the most sought after add-on solutions for these packages now. And we're the second most popular one of those. So we're in a very lucrative space, um, both in terms of just growing ourselves um, because we can integrate with so many different accounting solutions. Yeah. But also you're right. And uh, there is there is definitely opportunity um, potentially in the future where where some of the big players might decide, you know what, we would like to have something like that as a feature of our solution rather than an add-on. Yeah, and obviously to be acquiring your customer base as well. And, you know, if they add that to theirs, they have a nice extra layer um, if there's no overlap, which I'm sure there's not. But uh, another question for you, Brendan. So apart from your product, what advice would you give to startups and founders from your own experience? 
Good job, you didn't ask this question at the start. Um, I, there's there's lots, right? But to some extent, people have to to some extent find their own way and make their own mistakes. But there's certain mistakes, you know, that are going to be more costly than others. I think, in hindsight, and I heard it early on, and I was fortunate not to make the mistake um, to too great a deal. But I do see the value in it now, and that is, if you're going to commit your life to a startup and you're going to you know, give it your all, which is what happens. And, you know, you're going to spend the next five years doing nothing much else. You might as well do it to solve a big enough problem. Because if you're not solving a big problem, meaning you're not creating a solution or service or product that's going to be of value to enough people or, or enough value to enough people to warrant you building the business at all, you, sh- you just shouldn't. It might be a brilliant idea, but if it only affects 10 people, or 100 people, it's not worthwhile. To grow a business, you're going to need lots of customers willing to spend money. Um, you might also, some people think, oh, but this is a problem that lots and lots of people have. But if it doesn't annoy them enough, or it's not as upsetting a problem to them, or as costly a problem to them, well, then solving it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to buy it by your solution. So that's a very big thing. I mean, when we started, we built a solution to automate the capture of banking credit card statements. And it sold like hotcakes, except that the people who bought it didn't get that many bank statements. So while they loved not having to type them up, it was, you know, it was a relatively small problem compared to the likes of invoices. So we have accounting firms that would have been processing a thousand pages of bank statements, you know, a year. And we save them typing up a thousand pages of bank statements. So you work out how long would that have taken them? How much would they have paid to automate it? Fine. But those same companies are now using us to process tens of thousands of invoices per month. Yeah. So it's, you know, and now we're realizing we could never have scaled into a big company on our, on our first product alone. Yeah. So you, um, need, you need to, to, to identify a gap in the market, but also a market in the gap. Exactly. You have to make sure that, that the market is big enough. Yeah. Um, and what about oh, those days? I mean, apart from that, right? So that's, that's great advice. But say, say stuff like the, I'm sure there's days that you just felt like I'm at the end here. I've run out of, I've, there's no more petrol in the car. I've run out of runway. What, what's your advice for people to drag them through those lonely days when you're up to 11 in the office and you're just thinking, I can't do this anymore? Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's, it's a common common experience for, for a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, I would say, if possible, it's be- beneficial to have a co-founder. I mean, I was, I was a sole founder, but then again, my CTO was there from day one, and, and my first sales guy who started on the floor. You know, we feel like we're kind of three founders in a way, because we were, the three of us kind of saw all those dark, early, wet mornings. But when, when the phone never rang and, you know, you're ringing people and they're just hanging up on you. But if you had a co-founder, it helps because you're not on your own. The second thing I would say is don't try and ideally, if you can avoid working from like your bedroom, because the, the four walls will get very close together. If you can get, and there is lots of supports out there now in Ireland, thankfully, if you can get into an incubation center or some sort of co-working space for which you are likely not to have to pay for if you make an effort in actually applying for supports and showing that you're committed to what you're doing and that 
you know, you're going to give it a proper go. Um, and that way you can actually work in an environment where there's lots of other entrepreneurs. And sometimes they'll be having bad days too. But sometimes they'll have good days. Um, when you're having a bad day, you can bounce off others and they'll, they'll you know, be quick to um, raise your spirits. Brilliant. Okay, man. Well, listen, um, from, from the respect of people want to get in touch, I'm sure people want to get in touch. They've heard you about expanding to Canada, America, etc., and you may be looking to uh, scale up your staffing, but but also some people may be interested in getting in touch about funding. So where can they contact you, Brendan? They can find me on Twitter, yeah. Um, so I'd be brand underscore Aquex. Well, this has been a pleasure talking to you, Brendan. Brendan Woods, CEO and founder of Aquex. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you, Aidan.